Welcome to Ms. Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Outlaws. It's uh, Wednesday. Yeah, it's kind of weird outside. I don't know if it's smoke or it's cloudy, kind of thin sun, a little bit chilly. Yesterday was sweltering. It was 32 degrees. Ah, the weather report. I've been spending a lot of time sitting outside of my garden, surrounded by my sunflowers in all stages of emergence and drooping, uh, reading all the books, rereading all the books I can. I don't have too many books I'm reading freshly currently because I'm bringing most of those books to Iceland when I go there for my artist residency in October for the whole month. But I am reading a book I want to talk to you about today. It's called Social Poetics. I've mentioned it a little bit on the podcast before. It's by Mark Nowak and my friend and occasional co-host, Catherine Audio, bought it for me in Calgary, I believe, at Shelf Life Books. And at first, like, you know, I think I mentioned I thought it was going to be boring or it was going to be full of poems that I didn't think were very good. And... I just want to address that whole stereotype that somehow only people that have obtained a certain number of degrees uh, are able to write poetry well. Um, People all over the world in multiple professions with varying degrees of, you know, education or uh, self-educated and with a immense range of experiences can also write poetry if they work at the craft and they are readers and they are thinkers and they are feelers and they are listeners. And it's just gotten super narrow, which, you know, I've talked about before, but it, it's just the antithesis to creating art, uh, having these, this world, I won't even say these worlds because I really think there is one world right now when it comes to poetry, we wonder why, you know, we don't have wide audiences or, you know, we don't sell a lot of books and so forth. And we think, oh, to do that, we have to diminish ourselves somehow. We have to create some kind of digestible mass crap uh, a la Rupi Carr or, you know, even, uh, I'll get in trouble for saying this, yay, Mary Oliver Uh, or Billy Collins, or so forth, Uh, we have to, you know, place ourselves in a lower common denominator, um, be super accessible, be simplistic, be sentimental, and so forth. And, you know, that's actually coming out of that narrow world of the university, where it seems like the only job we're supposed to have as writers is to teach. And teaching is amazing. I love to teach, but teaching in an institution full time and constantly instructing others and youngers in creative writing seems to be a very insular, very tiny, uh, suffocating. It has that potential or that lack thereof. And that that's really problematic for the art of poetry and for all the arts, because you need freedom at the core, you need multiplicity, you need diversity, you definitely don't need homogeneity, uh, you definitely don't need elitism in the sense of nobody's going to listen to you speak unless 
you've got these degrees or even more so now, unless you've won these supposedly prestigious awards, nobody will invite you to go anywhere or do anything, no matter how good of a poet you are, because you haven't been stamped with that star. So I want to let you know about a book like Social Poetics, and it was created, assembled, uh, envisioned by someone who does work as a professor of English, but he's also the founding director of the Worker Writers School, and he's written a bunch of books of poetry like Coal Mountain Elementary and Revenants. And yes, he's won some prizes, but he's also led so many poetry workshops for workers and trade unions all around the world. I think back to the 80s and how there was a school of poetry in Canada called Work Poetry, and it was Tom Wayman and Sandy Shreve and Kate Braid and a lot of other uh, poets who worked in offices or construction work, uh, things like that. And, of course, a poet like Al Purdy came from that tradition, that generation where, you know, you work in the mattress factory, you do physical labor, you drive a cab, what have you. Of course, it's very male-dominated in that sense from that particular time. But there was that greater diversity. And, you know, I even think of, like, Alice Major's The Office Tower Tales, which is, yes, mythologized, but also grounded in the fact that that's where she worked for many years as well. And just to have all these avenues of existence just essentially annihilated as viable and vital uh, subject matters for poetry is uh, really quite appalling. And this whole book deals with migrant workers, um, taxi drivers, domestic workers, those who work in factories around the world in often horrendous conditions, lots of suppression, poverty, uh, even to the point of, um, you know, they, they get into medical situations where they're not supported and, you know, they lose limbs and, and then there's a lot of depression and suicide. And, you know, that is all viable material for art of all kinds. And if you study and you listen and you research and you think and you hear and all those things, uh, then you too can write poetry about your experiences and who will hear it. That's the other question. So Mark Nowak describes social poetics as an experiment in the formation of a new class and new culture. This book is a rough outline of its history. Social poetics opens a space for new ways of being a writer. Instead of transforming canons, social poetics provokes us to dismantle them. Instead of literary hierarchies, social poetics practices horizontalism. In addition to images and alliterations, social poetics participates in insurgencies and insurrections. In addition to acrostics and sestinas and erasures, social poetics organizes and engages in assemblies and worker centers and collectives. It imagines radically new roles, formations, and futures. It is inspired by the people's history and emergent solidarities around the world, uh, the social world of study. It is not the poetry workshop anymore or poetics, a function and formation of capitalism, elite institutions, hierarchies of awards and honors, neoliberalism, liberalism, precarious adjunct labor, racist and sexist relationships inside and outside the classroom, mass incarceration and incarceration, blah, 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 and student debt. 
Instead, the poetry workshops of social poetics collaborate with today's and tomorrow's social movements, imagine a future, a future of new freedoms, new narrators, new poetics, new possibilities, new imaginative militancies, new insurgencies, new conjunctions, new solidarities, and refreshingly new poet, poetics, poetries. <laughs> My God, I didn't have enough coffee from the global working class too. So yeah, incredibly vital. He's got chapters like transnational poetry dialogues, imaginative militancy, new conjunctions, people's workshops, consonants, emergent solidarities. And he provides another way of looking at the place of poetry in this world. Kind of reminded me also of, you know, the Alice Major reading and how one of our audience members was saying that she was delivering the news through poetry and you know that's that's what poetry used to do it used to deliver the news of the tribe the culture the peoples in rhythmical alliterative resonant repetitive ways so that you could memorize it and so that it could sing in your blood so yeah pick it up social poetics by mark nowak and i will finish by reading a poem about Language and Labor by a Chinese poet, uh, one of the very few women poets included in the Iron Moon Anthology. Her name, which I will probably mispronounce, is Zhang Zhaokyong. Uh, she was a nurse, but then she left the hospital and she spent years working as a hole punch operator in a hardware factory. And as Mark Nowak says, this is hardly the bio you'll find in most contemporary poetry journals and anthologies of the global north. True. And why not? So here's one of her pieces called Language. I speak this sharp-edged, oiled language of cast iron, the language of silent workers, a language of tightened screws, the crimping and memories of iron sheets, a language like calluses, fierce, crying, unlucky, Hurting, hungry language, back pay of the machine's roar, occupational diseases, language of severed fingers, life's foundational language in the dark place of unemployment between the damp steel bars. These sad languages, I speak them softly in the roar of the machines. A dark language, language of sweat, rusty language like a young female worker's helpless eyes or an injured male worker by the factory doors. There, hurting language, language of shivering bodies, language of denied compensation for injured fingers, rust-speckled switches, stations, laws, the system. I speak a black-blooded, fired language of status, age, disease, finances, a fearful, howling language, tax collectors and petty officials, factory bosses, temporary residence permits, migrant workers, their languages, language of a girl jumping off a building, the GDP's language, language of official projects, language of a kid's school fees. I speak of stone, of overtime, violent language. I speak of the abyss, climbing the ladder, unreachable distances, the language of holding life's railings in the gusts of fruitless labor. I speak these sharp-edged, oiled languages, their pointy edges open up to stab this soft era. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. 
Stay fierce, word musicians.